0: I'm B. And I'm B. And, and this, this is homestead, homestead Happenings. Where every week we bring you along on our journey to self-sufficiency. And bring you exclusive interviews on all things homestead from people around the world. So hit subscribe and follow along with us. Let's, let's learn, learn, let's grow, let's go. go. I'm V. And I'm B. And today, very exciting. We have been really looking forward to this, as I'm sure a lot of you have, because today we are leaving the United States and we are going to the Netherlands. So we're going to talk about um, homesteading there, what that looks like, what, what is the, I know they have different regulations on things. It's going to be very, very interesting. And I know a lot of people have thought, I'm going to leave the U.S. and homestead somewhere else and maybe this will shed light because I have heard the Netherlands be tossed around with some people as where they were looking that they might want to homestead and relocate to and I, so this is going to be absolutely huge. As a quick reminder before we get started, Mary's Heirloom Seeds Small Business Saturday sale started yesterday and it is going to go through the 28th. So definitely check that out. You can use code SBS2022 and save 15% off of all seed combo and starter kits. Every order will come with a free pack of seeds. Every order over $40 will come with two free packs of seeds. And this is all on top of all the seeds, um, I think over 40 of the seeds being on a deeply discounted seed sale and she already is competitively priced on all of her original things. So you can't beat that. So definitely SBS 2022 in the uh, checkout window and then she can't apply that if you miss that. So definitely get that in there. If you would like the link, it is in the description box of this episode. As a reminder, also if you would like to Donate for uh, the Homesteads in Need. All that information and links will be in the description. If you would like to sign up to receive assistance for a volunteer program or financial program, email us at vb at gmail.com. So, with all those reminders out of the way, we are going to let Kate take it away. So, Kate from the Netherlands, let's go.
1: Hi! <laughs> Hi, thanks thanks very much for for getting up early to talk to me today with the time difference.
0: (laughs) Yes, eight hours. (laughs) Um,
1: Yeah, (laughs) so it's uh, nearly dinner time here. (laughs) Um, So yeah, I'm uh, Kate. I'm originally British, Um, live out in the Netherlands now. I have a Dutch husband and a a son who's uh, bilingual. We have a family language is English. Um, He goes to a Dutch school. So very multinational in, the, in our house. Um, and we moved into the, um, the east of the Netherlands, quite near the German border, um, just over two years ago now. So we lived in the cities and suburbia and then two years ago decided uh, to sell it all up and purchase uh, a farm in a gorgeous area called Achterhoek, uh, which means back corner um, in the Netherlands. Uh, with seven acres, fewer uh, outbuildings, and essentially a blank slate to sort of start our, our dreams of, of becoming more self sufficient. Um, slightly different meaning to that, I think, here than, than in the US. There isn't really sort of the. You see, I see the US homesteads, and it's very, very, very self sufficient. It's all, you know, a lot of people are off grids. Um, you have no. Um, uh, services, really, at all on a lot of them, whereas we're well, we're still we've got three supermarkets within a 15-minute drive, we can walk to my son's school, and we've got a highway five-minute drive away.
0: Oh, yes, (laughs) So it's very different. (laughs) Well, and um, the U.S. is well, it's a big country, of course, but um, depending on which state that we're in, depends on how off-grid you can get. We're in Missouri, and you can basically disappear here. Uh, Same with like Alaska, Montana, a lot of these, Idaho, um, they don't have a lot of regulations and restrictions as far as that kind of goes. Arkansas, but then there's places like on the east coast and the west coast that are heavily regulated, so it's super diverse here.
1: Yeah, and I mean, the Netherlands is absolutely tiny. I mean, even compared to, you know, I moved from from the UK, which is about 68 million populous, which is tiny compared to the US. Yeah. Um, the Netherlands, we have under 18 million in the entire country. Uh, so it's very, very tiny. Wow. Um But it also means everybody's very crammed in. So I think I read something last year. I think the Netherlands is, it's either the most expensive country in Europe to buy land or it's the second. I mean, but it's right up there. It's very, very difficult, um, to purchase any decent size, um, property. So
0: which our setup
1: is sorry.
0: (laughs) Well, and here, I don't know what the, I was going to look this up and totally forgot before we recorded this, the difference in the currency, because you know, um, here our prices are getting crazy but um you know a lot of people and back we bought you know five acres you can get for you know like 20,000 U.S. and yeah I was looking and it is like way more expensive overseas to get land than in the U.S. it would be more like when you buy on the east coast which is so expensive.
1: Yeah, I mean, we, so we, the reason we moved out here is because the only, out to near the the German border, it's the only area we could afford to get any land. Once you're in the sort of the four, the area of the four main cities in the Netherlands to buy any kind of land there, I mean, you you need, there's a million on the end of the number. You know, it's, uh, you start getting into crazy money. (laughs) Wow. Um, Yeah, I think um, we, so we have, just under seven acres, Um, and a fairly new build house on it, which we're really lucky with. Uh, So the actual house we live in um, is from 98, which meant that as well, when we moved, we could afford to invest in some upgrades, for example, solar panels and a heat exchange pump for the house, which... Especially given, I'm sure it's the same in the US. The energy prices at the moment, yes, has been absolute, get yeah, godsend this this um, this last year.
0: And we heard, I, I've heard that it's even worse overseas.
1: Yeah, I mean, we've heard people that were would have, be paying say two hundred euros a month for energy, and they're looking now at six to eight hundred euros per month. Wow. Yeah, that's a huge. Um, You're talking another job to cover the energy bills.
0: Wow, that is just so. Everybody thinking, you know, right now. um, And normally, I I don't touch too heavily on these things, but since it is our podcast that we produce, we are not censored. (laughs) So I can say, um, this is a global problem. This is all. This is you know. This is a leadership thing. We've got just there is no i'm gonna leave the u.s and i'm gonna go here and this is gonna be great there is a problem and a crisis across the board it is getting out of hand um
1: oh yeah and not just for the energy i mean our grocery bills have probably gone up 20 30 percent um in the last yeah four to six months um and of course with the netherlands netherlands is in the eu But then, you know, I speak to my my family back in the UK and it's a similar picture there. They're not in the EU now. So it's, you know, it is, it's across all borders. It's really is a global issue um, with the cost of living at the moment.
0: So, um, you know, you mentioned groceries. So tell us about what, and you have a little under seven acres. We have five. So we're really close um, with you personally, but what, what animals are, are you raising in, To help with that,
1: so we have we started out with chickens. Um, We we moved in on the fourteenth of August, and my birthday was the twenty sixth. So twelve days after we moved, we had chickens. (laughs) (laughs) uh, It's number one. I'm getting chickens. Um, So we yeah we started with five. We now have around about forty, I think.
0: Yeah, it grows. <laughs> um, and
1: I've got actually eggs at the moment in the incubator. <laughs> yep. <laughs> um, so, and we're one of our, our goals for this winter is actually just split the flock because at the moment we are the breed we're raising for meat is um, uh, the breast breed. Um, it's a large breed from from France. So um, technically, the ones we have can't be called breast because it is a um, location what's it called the um location protected name yes.
0: um, so although
1: they are the same breed, you can't yeah you have to be a bit careful if you're advertising them.
0: yes here we have to call um, them the american breasts because ah, and, yes and they are quickly gaining traction in the u.s for a meat bird i mean we and over here there's a lot of large youtubers large um creators or people in the homesteading community that are switching to the breasts and they had to touch on these are American breasts you know technically you know you can't say it because it's from France and so I was hoping you would touch on that because I wondered is that like a U.S. thing or is it like every single country has to make sure they drop the French off there
1: yeah i mean to be honest if you see like for example you know when you look for um eggs we don't really have hatcheries here it tends to be sort of private um breeders then um advertise and sell the the uh, fertile eggs that you can then purchase and we can't buy live chicks um the same way you can in the us so you need to have you've either got to have a broody hen or you need to have an incubator or if you're buying chicks you need to go pick them up um there's no there's no posting posting chicks out here
0: Very interesting.
1: Um, yeah and so we decided to go for the breast so you can sort of, you can get the Cornish cross here which we we did look into, although it's called I think the Cornish game hen or other than um, the Cornish cross and we part of our, our sort of ethos is we a we wanted all our animals to be as sort of free range and as naturally living as possible. Um, but also it was very important to us that any animals we have sort of long term, it's a self-sustaining um breeding population, which obviously if you go down the Cornish cross route, that's just not an option. Um so we we did quite a lot of research and went for the, the breast A because the meat is excellent. But for me, being the one that processes them all, white feathers <laughs> definitely the way to go. Because <laughs> yes. I do not have a flat on my hand.
0: Yes, we raise we do not do the Cornish cross. I know that the Cornish cross is one of the most popular, well it's the most popular here in the US, but for us um that wasn't going to work for us because of the self-sustaining aspect, um just the monster growth rates. We did not have any flexibility in in butchering time, and I do the the butchering, my neighbor has stepped in to help me, uh, just her and I sometimes as well. So that's just unrealistic for us. We raise, um, as far as our, quote, specific meat chickens, a breed that is from one of our main hatcheries here. And they named them themselves. They're called Murray's Big Red Broilers. But they are essentially, they are faster growing at that 12 weeks, but they are actually just brown laying. Hardy dual-purpose breeds that they have bred this way so they can reproduce they can lay eggs for you They're a full full chicken. And so that's about as close as we get to a meat bird um, And we've looked into the breasts and for moving forward next year instead of doing the others, but uh, they just are not readily available here because now they're gaining popularity they're selling out so fast. So hopefully 2024 will be able to do that. But it's a very good, you know, good thing that you you mentioned this because too often I think people get the Cornish cross and then they get egg layers and they don't have any dual purpose or true self-sustaining flocks. <laughs>
1: Yeah, indeed. So as self sustaining was very important to us, but it also means going forward. So at the moment, we have our layers and our breasts all out together. Mm-hmm. Um, I have to say, as well, our breast rooster is an absolute angel. We have one other rooster who's a silky, and my husband keeps warning him that he's going in a pot because <laughs> he <laughs> keeps attacking his angels.
0: I heard that kind of name.
1: Um, so no, so the the, the temperament of the, the roosters, especially with you know my son's only six, and we did one about the first roosters, another Silky actually that we ever had, um, very nearly got his eye going for him um, when he was about four or five months old. Uh-huh. Uh, so that rooster did not long. Um, so that's that's very important that um, the temperament, um, and then going forwards as well. Once we've we've split the the flock a bit more we can also make some money, hopefully, um, selling the fertile eggs and possibly chicks. We'll see, uh, I need to scope out what the market's like for that first though.
0: Yeah. Well, um, we have, we have a lot of chickens. Uh, we have a lot of different breeds. I mean, we'll have even more breeds in the coming years. Um, as far as selling hatching eggs or, um, selling live chicks and we are able to ship our chicks privately. Um, so that's something very exciting that we'll be doing, but we do have some breeds that are like for us, you know, those good dual purpose birds. Um, and so in the event of we needed to get rid of some, or we needed to focus on us, we could make those cuts, but probably across all poultry, next year um we'll be over 200 head probably that's that's probably where we're gonna Uh,
1: that's that's where some things do get quite interesting so all um we have the 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 ubn here which is essentially the department of agriculture etc um so with poultry you can have a maximum of 249 birds after that you have to actually register as a poultry business and then obviously that comes with the licensing and any taxes etc that go on top of it so we have no more than two, 249 i don't think we'll ever get close to that number <laughs> <laughs> um but that is again an area so i'm assuming in the u.s there's nothing like well, i suppose it's different state to state but um yeah but, but yeah oh, they're quite they're,
0: they're quite now. loose um esp- yes especially state to state but they're they're quite loose with the Regulations. The only difference would be if you were in a town. I mean, if you're in a county with nothing, um, some counties in some states have you pay like they're part of your personal property tax, all your animals and stuff. So you kind of just have to see, which is, again, where we're fortunate. And the reason we picked where we picked is, again, you've got those freedoms to do with what you need to without the big, you know, the government overhead.
1: Um and
0: I saw that I saw that you had ducks. We have ducks too.
1: We do. We have, I love my ducks. Yes, I do Um we have runners, um, which to be honest, they were one of my before we even moved here, one of my bucket list animals. I just think they're hilarious. Me too. Uh, but she will so, love it they're, it's just so much character. Um Unfortunately, they all appear to have stopped laying. I haven't had an egg from them in about four months. I, just, I think maybe the summer was too hot or something. So, And I love duck eggs.
0: Yes, we do too. And he wants runners so badly. I We don't have them. We have Jumbo Peking, Cayuga, and Blue Swedish. We used to have others, but we don't now. We'll probably definitely add more. Ducks we love. But... He's wanted. How long have you wanted the runner ducks? Probably years. And um, he just likes to watch them run. He thinks they're so funny.
1: They are absolutely hilarious. I mean, if one of them gets a slug and head starts off, starts off up the field, you end up with literally just a line of them one after the other chasing each other. It's it's you're looking at the kitchen window. It's hilarious. They're brilliant. I love them.
0: <laughs> we I I just ducks in general are just. They're so entertaining. They're so, I don't know, they're so hearty. I love their eggs. Um, they're super soft. Now, of course, ducks, sometimes, you know, they run from you like you're out to get them. But ours will, uh, you can hand feed them and things. I, I just love them. I They're my preferred poultry over chickens, personally.
1: Yeah, we'd love to try so because we, we, we like eating duck as well, but obviously runners, there's uh, not a lot of meat on a runner. <laughs> Excellent for eggs, not a lot of meat on them. Um, so we, I think we're we thinking next year of trying um, some Pekins.
0: Yeah, um, we love our yeah. jumbo Pekins. They're good layers, they're good temperament, they're extremely hardy, they're huge, fast grow out. And we crossed our Pekin with the Cayuga, the Blue Swedish, and a friend of ours took those ducklings, and the rapid grow out on those was even faster than the pekins And she said they're just incredibly hardy. She loved loved the crosses. So I definitely um, think pekins will always be on our homestead. Yeah,
1: it's um, it, it's. I'd like to
0: try the so the Cayuga. How do you say? It? Yeah, Cayuga.
1: Yeah. Um, I, I just the the black feathers because I have so our runners yep. are mainly black and white and when we had some extra boys from a couple of hatches so they went in the freezer uh, and plucking them or oh, it takes me two, two easily twice as long on a on a half a duck half the size as a chicken to get oh. those feathers out. Just...
0: I haven't. I we're still trying to see if we like to eat duck. They're mostly for eggs and for hatching for us, but and um use them, we're going to be using them in our, uh, permaculture orchard plan. But anyway, um, the black feathers, well, fortunately the Cayugas, the older they get, they turn white. Um, but I heard that you're supposed to butcher them using Dawn dish soap so that the feathers can come out easily. And that's just, that's just a step that I, I just don't know. With us doing it by hand, I'm just not really wanting to do that right now. I'm like, we've got chickens, we do rabbits um, for meat and stuff. So for now, all our ducks are safe from eating. Because <laughs> I don't want to butcher them right now.
1: <laughs> Fair enough. Um, it's interesting you touched on permaculture actually, because that's my, uh, my, my my husband's baby on the farm is we turned, um, sort of, we've got a quarter acre section front of the house, uh, which was and when we moved to it, was just all grass there was no no fences no it was just green grass, nothing else mm. um so we're in the process of turning that into a a food forest a, a forest garden Love um, that. so that was a massive amount of work the first winter we were here, I think we planted we planted about eighteen meters of hedge or and all every plant in the hedge is either. Everything's got a purpose. It's either got edible berries or it's a nitrogen fixer or it's encouraging um, pollinators. We have bees as well. So we try and plant um, uh, bee friendly um, stuff as well. Um, And then we also did, we've got, I think, 40 fruit trees. Wow. Now we're adding about another 13 this winter. Um, We've been very lucky, the local council here, they're actually really pushing for um, landowners to do things like replanting hedges and and local um, species of fruit trees, uh, sort of boost up the biodiversity in the area. So there's quite a lot of subsidies. Um, There's a load of fruit trees that just uh, applied for. So they will be, I think it's, they should be about four or five years old and they're charging us 10 euros a, a pop which is
0: a quarter of the price that you would pay
1: in a nursery for them. Yeah.
0: Um, it's great. It's it's good that you touched on that. They have subsidies and stuff. I wish in the U S we had more programs like this to assist. Now some States do, and some States don't as far as how well their program is here, um, in Missouri, the Missouri, uh, conservation department they do a really good job of their seedlings they do like uh $1 seedling bundles um twice a year they sell out within hours but they do it for all the native stuff and they'll come out to your property for you and they will help you uh map out where a pond should go or what slope you should plant on or they'll really help you with, you know, some design stuff. They'll, um, they'll help you with plant identification, helping you with diversity. And and that's huge, but they only give you the little trees that they give you are just the smallest little saplings. And you have obviously (laughs) years before they'll produce. We also have the Arbor Day Foundation, um, here in the U S and, and they will try to help and do those efforts. But I wish there, we had more programs that were (laughs) affordable to promote that right now. It's basically you want to do it and you seek those things out. You know, they're not pushing it heavily. And I wish that they would, because, you know, now, I don't know. You guys are, I don't know what year, I guess, you did that. I guess so you'd be about two years into your food forest now.
1: Yeah. Yeah, first winter we put all the, um, the, most of the trees went in, yeah. So that would be two years ago.
0: So did you do, like, the food forest layers, like, true? Or did you just kind of focus on planting one kind? And when I say that, I mean dwarf trees, semi-dwarf. Standard size, did you vary that or kind of focused on one?
1: This is the most well planned forest garden you will have ever seen. <laughs> <laughs> My husband is—he works in finance, he's a finance director, he's a, he's a man of spreadsheets. He likes to be organized, he likes everything to be well planned out. Uh, we have spreadsheets and diagrams, and um, yeah, everything has been planned out to pretty much within 20 centimeters in the entire area so we've got a real the majority of things like the um, sort of the main fruit trees the pears the apples etc we've gone for sort of the medium height so it shouldn't get more than about four or five meters but then we've got a couple of other um, full-size trees going in but again that's all been planned taken into account where the sun is so we're not getting shade but well, they're not going to be shading out the smaller trees right. um, So I mean, and there's a lot more, and then we've also got the shrubs and things. So there's there's a whole layer um, plan going in as well with um, so the the shrubs and berries going in underneath the trees, and then we've got your ground layer as well, um, which this year we started building up. I mean, it's such it's such a huge area. I mean, if you were to just go right, we're going to plant the whole thing. I I mean, you'd need fifty thousand plants to. Yeah, and I think.
0: Yeah, I think, um, and dear, if you want to comment on this, I think that for us, um, you know, we just talk about, you know, I, the plan as a whole and, um, I feel like people can get overwhelmed with that. I, is that how you felt? basically? Uh, absolutely. And so it's like, we had to, you know, realize like, this is the overall plan, but then we just work on a section at a time. So eventually we would like the entire five acres to be permaculture food forest with some silvopasture mixed in for animals. But, uh, and then of course zone one for our house, you know, an annual, annual garden. But when we go in and say that and you look around and it's all forested, we're like, okay, that could be overwhelming. So we kind of just, zone one is cleared out and we've been kind of working on that so i mean it'll be probably five years before we get to the backside, and so we're trying to utilize things like the goats the pigs stuff like that to work on those areas that we're not going to get to so that by the time we get there it's it's more prepared it's been fertilized it's been tilled up in a sense from the pigs it's been um, you know kind of opened up we've taken out little saplings to allow for sunlight in we've gotten to you know get some grasses going so it's just permaculture especially food forests and stuff that is a lifelong plan it never ends there's no schedule it just that's just the lifestyle
1: yeah indeed and I mean we although we you know, as I said, my husband has this plan, and when we are not doing the whole five, five acres, we kind of have split our property into what we call the homemaker. Um, so we've got there the smaller paddock, which is where we've got the or um, the poultry and the goats at the moment, and then we've got also our vegetable garden and then the food forest, and then we've got the big pasture back, which we haven't used for the last two years. Very exciting. In Spring, the cows are coming, so we've got to re-fence all of that before the spring. <laughs> um so but with the with the food forest um i mean one of the things as i said it was all literally just a sea of grass when we moved in um so we're trying to make sure we do no dig as well mm-hmm. um so we literally started with the trees and then just started mulching so we have the biggest pile of cardboard you've ever seen with no <laughs> cardboard in this house. um so we go over it with with cardboard i know there's all kinds of different ways people say you do it but what's been working well for us is when we have the mower out so we put cardboard down and when we're mowing the grass we then dump the grass on top of it um, and use that as a mulch layer you do need to top it up because obviously grass it gets grass if you don't keep it if you're not planting on it Mm -hmm. Um, we're basically starting with two or three of the trees and you sort of build a circle around that and then a circle around the next one and gradually the whole thing will blend in together and join up
0: Yeah. And Um, we've got six, (laughs) we've got six in six trees in and now they're in. And so next year, well, spring's plan is focus on getting the permaculture stuff set up in the main chicken run. And so all that stuff will be fenced around, but we want to do the guilds around our existing six trees and then those will all be blended together and then that's going to be a huge accomplishment and so I'm glad you you said that because I think that's an excellent approach um, that a lot of people aren't doing and it just is so much more satisfying because you're getting so much diversity instantly and putting yourself years ahead I think instead of doing it in Rows or specific layers. That's very smart, I think.
1: Yeah, I and mean, you, you, as I said, you kind of feel that sense of achievement because it's like, right, well, this tree guild is is done. We can move on to the next one rather than if you try and tackle the entire thing at once. I mean, that's when your motivation just gets completely sapped because it's just such a big job. You you just can't, pardon the pun, you can't see the wood for the trees. Right, <laughs> it's right. It's just too much there.
0: So, will um, you be utilizing your. Um, ducks, or possibly getting any sheep in the future, or anything like that, to kind of run through on those grassy areas while you develop, or no. The,
1: the plan is that some of the runners are going to go and um, they're going to go and live in the um, in the forest garden. Um, I we've kind of we've got three, our first batch of. Ducks that we hatched, we ended up with two girls and three boys. Not best. <laughs> um, we've, now, we've now got another four girls, so we're starting to get there with the um, with the ratio. Um, but longer term, what I'd like to do is actually create a bit of a bachelor group out in the forest garden, and then it means I can bring in some fresh blood, um, just to, you know, spruce up the genetics a bit as we breed with the girls. They can stay in the field with the others. Um, we have geese as well, so we. Um, they may well go in there to do some some grazing for us. Uh, the geese were new this year, um, and we, we we've got um, Chinese geese, the the, the, oh, the, yes. the knob on the top of the head, yeah. really pretty. Um, and they've been absolutely fantastic parents. Well, we had a bit of a disaster with the eggs because we had them in the same. We had in the same field as the goats, and then they decided they wanted to nest right in the middle of the goats' stable. And then we ended up with eggs getting trampled on. It was just with next year when they nest, the goats are moving.
0: Yeah.
1: <laughs> um, so we ended up with only two eggs, but um, but no, they, and we had we we actually butchered and had the first of our geese uh, at the end of October, uh, and it tasted fantastic. So that is, they are definitely staying.
0: Yeah. We want, we hope to get geese. Um, we hope to get pilgrim geese. Um, primarily because I heard that they were a little more docile and they are feather sexable at birth. So we were kind of excited about that. Um, and yeah, we're just excited for them Yeah. and I definitely want to use them <clears throat> with the ducks, um, kind of running through the orchard stuff. Um, and then obviously hopefully be a meat source as well. But again, it's kind of like duck where we're still just learning how we like things. (laughs) We're still just learning what way to cook this. Do we like it? Do we not like it? Um, Because for so many years it's been beef, pork, chicken, and turkey. And so we had to kind of branch out, you know, um, right now I would say rabbit is one of our preferred meats. Um, so we're just, we're just learning on that. I know you said that you're looking forward to cattle in the spring. So what kind of cattle are you looking into?
1: So we are going to get, well, the plan is to get, um, Dexter's, um, for two reasons a well more than two really but um very hardy so i i I wanted a breed that could essentially live out all year um just cuts down on on the labor a bit. uh we also wanted a small breed because my my husband works so all the animal husbandry falls on me so uh you know i'm not the biggest (laughs) ladies so a breed is a bit smaller and a bit more more manageable that i can manhandle um and also they uh, we've heard really really good things about the, the quality of the meat and also the um the the live to carcass ratio um is very very good uh on Dexter's. and they generally are no fuss breeders as well um there shouldn't be too many problems with carving which obviously is a big big plus um so yeah so the the hope is to get just um mum with calf at foot who is also pregnant next year so we kind of get three in a one bundle <laughs> if we can find that that would be the ideal uh and then and then work up from there
0: that's um, what we would hope because, to do yeah. one day and we we wanted we were between mini highlands and dexter's dexter seem more realistic and they're also a dual purpose excellent milk cows um, and they don't produce as much you know, it's something like a Jersey or Holstein. So good for small homesteads and small needs. So they're definitely on our list of possibilities for the future. But I think that's a very smart way to buy doing, you know, bread back with a calf. That'd be ideal.
1: Yeah, exactly. And um, I mean, yeah, the, the dual purpose side of it, we sort of, discuss it we don't go we don't drink a lot of milk in our family we're not a huge dairy Uh, although I wouldn't mind making uh, ice cream uh, (laughs) with fresh but our neighbor across the road has 150 head of dairy cattle if we want fresh milk we can walk across the road and 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 get fresh milk it seems silly to sort of tie yourself into I mean that's because that's the thing with dairy once you start that's it you're tied into it every single day twice a day
0: (laughs) yeah uh (laughs) We've got the dairy goats, we have La Manchas and Nubians, and, um, a, you know, more and more people I'm finding are calf sharing or kids sharing, so that way, if they need to leave, they can rely on the calf or the kid to milk out, and I'm like, you almost have to, because otherwise, you are married, you're married to home, you're married to the time of milking, um, So I, I know why people are doing that, but if you've got so many, it can be overwhelming. I know a lot of people are moving towards machine milking versus hand milking. Um, so we'll see, we should have our first kidding season in the spring and, and we'll see. We have milked before, but we did hand milking, but this will be our first kidding. So kind of excited about that. Um for the dexter for or the dairy for a cow for me would just be the ease of having the cream line the ease of butter uh so we do use a lot of cream butter sour cream cottage cheese buttermilk so a lot of those things i'd say we're a large dairy family
1: yeah yeah i mean and that's one thing we really discuss before essentially we plant or bring any animal onto the the farm is yeah, it might be very nice to have them, but are, do we like it? Are we going to eat it? Right. What are our needs? Right.
0: Um,
1: I think, so the first rule I think of anybody starting out, you know, homesteading, especially things like your vegetable garden, is look at all these seeds. And you're like, that, 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 and it's like, yeah, I don't actually like eating half these right. vegetables. Yes. <laughs> um, and then there's all that work that's just you know for, for, for no reason. Um, so although, well. We say that I have I have planted Brussels sprouts this year, which my husband laughed at me for. Don't like Brussels sprouts. i like, you have to have Brussels sprouts with Christmas dinner, and this year we'll have our homegrown
0: Brussels
1: sprouts. <laughs> you
0: can only i <need> <laughs> I'm still trying to figure out if I like Brussels sprouts or not, and he loves them. So so I'm gonna grow them. We're gonna just we're still trying it out. I think I'm still growing melons, even though I'm not really I don't really care for melons. I'm trying to find a melon that I like. As many melons as there are in this world, surely there is a melon that I like. So I'm on a melon journey to figure out what it is I like. And, you know, he wasn't really too fond of many fruits. I mean, he likes strawberries. And he said he didn't like blueberries until we had our homegrown blueberries. And then he was like, wow, these are outstanding. Well, yeah, the stuff doesn't taste the same as it's been sitting in the store for months, you know. So no i
1: mean that's, we the cucumber i found cucumbers are just in a different league when you grow them yes um, when you grow them yourself
0: we like, have they're just a so lot of varieties.
1: yeah the other nice thing is so a lot we haven't really had much crop from our fruit trees yet but the quince did really well this year um which and i'd never eaten quince i'd no idea what it's like over there but you just you cannot buy quince as the fruit here anywhere
0: i don't um, even really know what that is
1: so it's a, bit, um, what does it have another name? It, it kind of looks like a really ugly cross, knobbly cross between a large apple and a pear. Oh. Um, it's very, very old um, fruit. I think it originated in around sort of Turkey, that sort of area. You can't really eat them um, raw, but if you cook them down, uh they've got the very it's really hard to describe what it tastes like, but they're sort of a yeah the fruit is a yellow color, and then I made jelly with them, and it goes pink, so it's got this you've got this gorgeous sort of rose colored jelly, which is fantastic on toast or breads and crackers that, that with cheese um absolutely- yeah absolutely delicious they were were brilliant I could definitely recommend them, and they're so easy to grow i mean we so this was year two. For this tree, and I think we got we got two buckets full of fruit off it, wow. and it's still i mean it's basically a stick. I mean, it's <laughs> it's just not a large. It's a stick with a couple of ranches coming off it. Um. So no, and that, and that's especially with the the permaculture. It's really exciting being able to be like, oh, well, let's try this, and you can you can grow things that you just cannot buy in the supermarkets.
0: Yes, we have found. I have stumbled upon a website from an elderly man on the east coast who had saved for all these years um, apple varieties from from way back that some of them are just just don't exist um, barely at all anymore so i found that he sells seedling or saplings on uh his website and I stumbled upon it, thought I bookmarked it and I didn't. So my goal this week is to find that website again because he had apples on there I had never even heard of in my life. And I would love to be able to grow some of those things that are so um I mean they're going extinct. I mean that that is that is awesome. And then to be able to graft those or root those and grow more off those that would be outstanding. Yeah. And it's,
1: you know, we, the forest garden as well, we really planned it. So we have five apple, well, four actually, one apple tree didn't, didn't take. But, um, and they're all, they all have different properties. So we've got an early apple. So we should, that one, that one did actually produce apples this year, but we had such a hot summer. The wasps got every single one. Uh, we just had, they're just bored through them. Um, and yeah, we lost everything. The pigs liked it because I pulled them off of Britain with the pigs. <laughs> <laughs> um, but yeah, so that was a, a bit disappointing, but we've got, but even, you know, the sort of the varieties you can get in different parts of the world. So I'm sure it's the same there that you, you know, every time you go to the supermarket, it's all the same yeah. varieties. I mean, the, the Braver and the junigold the Pink Ladies, um, those are the, the sort of the big ones. But one um, variety that I grew up with in the UK is the Bramley, uh, which is a fantastic cooking apple, really, really good for, for apple pies and that sort of thing, just does not exist over here in the Netherlands. And we're, you know, a hop, skip and a jump over it. <laughs> <laughs> you know, we're not exactly a long a long way apart. So that was, for me, that was like, we have to have a Bramley. We have to have a Bramley apple <laughs> so I can cook um so yeah so, so that's been going really well and the this year as well the um we have a polytunnel uh which oh one of the best things we ever built on the farm was the polytunnel the one thing that we never ever want to have to build again on this farm is the polytunnel <laughs> <laughs> I mean, for starters, we were building it over the winter, and uh, my husband he, he still works, so jobs where it needs two of us generally have to get pushed to the weekend. Um, and this thing—it was essentially flat pack; it all came in pieces, and every single joint had eight millimeter screws uh-huh. with these tiny, tiny—that you had, to, and each joint had about four or five of these in. And we're trying to do it in January when it's you know the snow on the ground. I'm like I can't feel my finger.
0: <laughs> oh my goodness!
1: Oh, uh, it was. Uh, I nearly cried tears of joy when that thing was finished. Um, but it's. I mean, it, it took us five months to put up into in the end. Uh, we started in yeah, we started in November, and by March, which I was so thankful for, because it meant I could get seeds started in there. Um. But then this year, my husband built um, some raised, sort of mini raised beds down the side of it. So it, I've just, I have, we've not been able to keep on top of the amount of tomatoes I've got out of there this year. That's and it's interesting melons, tomatoes Tomatoes have been amazing this year. Um, and we did try and grow melons. Um, it, we got one watermelon, which was, com- had no red inside whatsoever. <laughs> <laughs> it did not work. <laughs> Um, But then on the flip side we've had a problem. It's interesting your first episode on here you talked about, I think it was your first one, you talked about barn cats. Yeah. We've had such a problem with rats this year.
0: Uh, Fortunately Um, we don't have any issues because we have so many dogs and cats but those the, the cats are although the cats are they have a problem in their own right, as far as, you know, they're not dogs, they do not listen, when you want them to do something, um, and they, um, you know, they have, cats do have some health problems and stuff you gotta watch for, but they are priceless, I mean, they just could, you could not replace these cats without them, I mean, they have saved us tenfold outside, um, they've helped significantly. And them with the dogs, I mean, they have protected the gardens, they have protected the animals as well. um, Because, you know, some of the little stuff that comes in that wants to get my chicks or this and that, um, you know, they're always hunting, they're always watching. And because they're out there, we just don't have a lot of stuff that tries to even come in. Uh, So we don't have any rats or anything like that, because there's way too many predators Here, you know, we have 13 cats and unfortunately, since the airing of that episode, we did lose one, um, which was really, really upsetting. He was our very, very favorite male cat and he just, he was only like a year and a half and he just randomly went into, um, congenital heart failure, like overnight. The vet was completely mind blown, um, that that happened it was absolutely just so crazy but um nevertheless we also have all the dogs and stuff so without all these guys i don't don't think i'd be able to do half of the stuff that i do i would be like you having a ton of rats
1: (laughs) (laughs) yeah we have actually just got um the, the newest additions to the farm are two ferrets um, which who I love that they're, they're, they're adorable um but uh, no the I mean they're still young but um apparently even the smell of them um because they're the natural predators of rats
0: yes'll we'll, we'll
1: keep them down so the idea is that we're gonna harness train them and basically they're gonna we're gonna walk everywhere there's been rats we're gonna get them through there um and you can get them put them down the holes to actually hunt the rats as well so we'll see
0: i've heard that that is so fascinating I've heard that. <laughs> by watching things like online and I didn't know if it was like an online thing or if that's really what happens. I'm seeing that that is a thing overseas. I'm not hearing or seeing anyone in, um, the U S do that to have the ferrets to raise them up instead of like the barn cats for that, that issue. That is so fascinating.
1: Yeah, I wonder if it's part, because I know, certainly in the UK, I'm not sure how much it's done here, actually, um, ferrets are often used in conjunction with terriers and things like whippets for rabbit hunting. So they'll put the ferrets down the holes to flush the rabbits out, and then the dogs get the rabbits. Or you'll have nets on the end of the holes. Um, So I think it's sort of come from there. Um, I think ferrets are are used as as a hunting animal a lot more because uh, I'm, I'm, I am I'm I am a member of a few ferret groups on, on Facebook and I saw how much the prices are for them in the U.S. I was like, that is not feasible as a, we'll just get a couple to keep the rats down kind of a price. They are yeah. not cheap over
0: there. Because over here, they're pets, you know, and yeah. well, and it's kind of like the rabbits. Over here, they've really kind of did the quote unquote Easter bunny, that kind of thing. So when homesteaders and stuff, they're trying to use them for pelts or meat, um, you know, they're feeding their domestic animals, you know, that meat or things like that. You get a lot of backlash over here in the U.S., whereas rabbit meat is one of the top meats eaten globally. Um, you know, and over here in the U.S., goat meat, is not very common um, unless it's people of different uh, cultures and ethnicities. But then worldwide, it's actually one of the top ones, and that's also because a lot of the U.S. has made goats pretty much strictly pets with the dwarf breeds. I know that you have um, pygmies as well, which are technically dual yes. purpose, but
1: um, my, my three are for for. Well, making me laugh or annoying me. <laughs> <laughs> uh, although we we did leave, we we picked up a, a, a little um, a boy two weeks ago, so Rupert has joined the um, has joined the gang. So we are also hoping for um, kids in April, um, but that's for rather than going the milking route. We uh, the idea is because the, the 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 pygmies um, we're going to sell them as pets. Yeah. Um, I go down that route. Um, but yeah, he's, uh, he, he's, he's quite the character. And boy, the boys definitely smell more than the girls. You really notice that when you get them in.
0: (laughs) I feel like ours aren't too bad, but it's either they're not too bad or I'm like immune and blocking it out because when I go to, you know, other people, they're like, man, the goats and the male goats. And I just don't feel like I ever smell them, but I I think that the, the weird smell that I smell is actually them. And I think I just personally don't know, like, if it's bad. Because to me, when I like an egg exploding in the incubator or a rotten egg, now that is a bad smell. Uh, I have
1: never had one of those, and I hope
0: never. To. <laughs> it's absolutely terrible. I hope that you don't have to deal with that. We just had one, and I thought I thought something died in here. I was like, what in the world? I was counting the cats. I was looking all over the place. I said, did something get in here? And it was an egg that exploded. It was horrible. I felt like I was in the middle of a landfill. Um, So yeah, that was, that was terrible. But I think that over here, there's a divide of, this is a pet versus you can use these in a variety of ways. Rabbits actually make great pets but they also have other uses, you know, um, in my opinion. So I think that that's kind of the issue. We've had a lot of backlash just because we eat meat period. Um, you know, there is a lot of, of things popping up here for farm rescues, taking in farm animals or saving them from slaughter. So we've got a lot of that stuff going on over here. Um, So I'm kind of interested to see how that's kind of going to play out in the coming years.
1: Yeah, I mean, here, I think it does, since we moved out here, I mean, my son, I think he now thinks that it's completely normal to grow up on, if it's not, if not a farm somewhere that's got a bit of land and everybody, all his friends have chickens, all of them have, you know, um, so it's, it's, you know, certainly everybody we know, it's very um, sort of matter of fact that. You know, if you have chickens, then you probably eat chickens as well. Um, the, I mean, the biggest thing for us was, can you process down these chickens yourself? Because, I mean, I can't, I had horses growing up, but I did not grow up in a farming background. Uh, my husband um, grew up in sort of, yeah, suburbia. Um, so, we we you know, we don't have a background of, of um, farming or, or processing mm-hmm. animals. So, you know, it's sort of said, well, you just, there's certain things in this life you you don't know how, how you're going to deal with it or whether you can even do it until it comes to the crunch and you, you just have to do it.
0: Processing day um, is hard. It is very hard. Um, I'm personally still struggle with the dispatch portion of that. Breaking them down and actually processing them is fine. I just, um... It's not the active dispatch that's the issue for me, but it's the aftermath, like the reflexes, the, all all of that. I don't do very well with that. So I'm Hmm. working on it. Um, he doesn't do very well with, with the dispatch and stuff. So we're, we're getting there. We do it. But then again, I think it shouldn't be easy. (laughs) You know, I mean, it's something that you do, but it should never be easy.
1: And if you if you're enjoying it, then there's something wrong with you. Yes, I agree. <laughs> It's not an enjoyable process. However, I always find those sort of those days are very mixed emotions. So I said it's 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 not enjoyable. And every animal I dispatch, they I always tell them they've been good, and I always say thank you. Uh, obviously, the animal has no clue what I'm saying. It's more for me. Yes. <laughs> keep in mind that you know at the end of the day, this is the ultimate sacrifice to feed my family. Yeah. Um, and. You know, we should we should always be, be grateful for that. Um, so, that side of things is never nice. And, you know, you've, I've always got the butterflies in my tummy.
0: Yeah.
1: But then at the end of the day, when you look in the fridge and there's a row of meat that you've, and especially, I mean, here, because we do everything from end to end. So, I hatched the eggs, raised the chicks, you know, got them outside, fed them up, you know, from end to end, I can tell you the entire life history of the animal and having that you know, looking in the fridge and seeing that meat. That is one of the most satisfying um, experiences, which that really took me by surprise. I didn't think it would be um, such a positive thing. Right. Um, Guilt-free meat, we call it.
0: Yeah. it, It made me feel really, it made me feel really proud. You know, when we had the meat and the vegetables and everything that we grew in the plate was everything we'd done. I, I was like, outstanding we did it look at us go you know so i was excited about that i um i've heard you mention pigs a few times and we have pigs as well um what is what is your plan with the pigs and what what breed do you have we have red wattles and we use them for meat (laughs)
1: Yeah, so we have Cooney Coonies, uh, two of them. Um, they do have names, but their names are Sausage and um, Specklap, which is the Dutch word for uh, belly pork. <laughs> <laughs> they were given very, very, very clear names and what the goal was for these um, for these pigs. So they've actually been fantastic. They, we've had them, we created a, a pen for them where we're planning on extending the, the um Forest garden down to so they've been spending this, they've been there since March, so they've been digging all that up for us, which is fantastic, and fertilizing it ready for the um, trees. So they are both destined for the freezer. Uh, now, this is somewhere where probably um, the red tape here is a, a, a lot, and the bureaucracy is a lot more than what you have to deal with there. So, if you have outside of the birds, if you have any animal. Um, in the Netherlands that can potentially enter the food chain. I think with the exception of horses, because they're recreational. But so goats, pigs, cows, um, sheep, they all have to be ear tagged uh, and registered with the the UBN. um, And they all have a unique number. You cannot take your animal. An an abattoir will not process your your animal um, without... Um, those to those tags and those numbers, and when you take it, you have to fill out um, forms online to register the change um, of location and et cetera, et cetera. We have yet to take any to the abattoirs, so this is going to be a whole new um, uh, experience for us. The plan is to take the pigs in uh, April. Uh, we're very lucky that we have we actually have two slaughterhouses within sort of a 10, 15 minute drive from us here, which for me. Personally, I mean I, I don't like the idea of you know, sort of keeping these animals free range and then their last day they have to spend two, three hours in a trailer they've never been in before. Right. Um it's really close. Um but yeah, there's a lot more there's a lot more bureaucracy and red tape. Um and the reason that they do that is essentially if you go into any shop and buy a pork chop, um you can trace that pork chop all the way back to the individual farm and the individual farmer. But it also means that, you know, um, it's about whether the the animals had any medication or anything like that throughout its life. Um, because certain medications, obviously they have to be out of the system for a certain amount of time before it can go into the food chain. And it's all about sort of making sure that the food chain remains healthy and you're not, you're not getting unhealthy meat, um, for human consumption, but it does make everything a lot more complicated.
0: Yeah. Well, And you couldn't have, you couldn't have processed those on your own anyway, right? Because you can't have guns.
1: Exactly. So if we were to process, we'd have to do it. I I mean, I don't even know by law what the the, the legal, um, if you're allowed to legally to process them at home. Um, And if we did, it would have to be, the only way you could do it by bleeding out, you'd have to which is just, I can't imagine doing that with a pig. That was just,
0: yeah. uh, um, That's probably not for me. (laughs) No,
1: (laughs) No. No. (laughs) we'll, we'll pay the, we'll pay the slaughterhouse to do it. And then we know it's all done in a humane and quick manner. Yeah. Um, Yeah. So, so that's, and the same once we've got the, um, once we've got the Dexters in as well, they'll also be going to the, going to the slaughterhouse.
0: So, um, Um, yeah, that's, that's, of course, way different than the U.S. I mean here, every, everything, anything, if you have your, if you have the equipment, you're good, um, to just process whatever you want. If you want to resell to the public, your meat goes to a USDA butcher. Um, and you just find those online or through your extension office. And then, um, <clears throat> excuse me, <clears throat> they, um, are able to do that for you. And then it won't say, cause if you go to a regular butcher, all the packages will say not for resale. But if you go to those, you can, and they just, if you're going to store the meat at your house, they just send a guy out or a lady and they make sure that you have proper temp on your coolers and you're good. Um, most countries are not like that. <laughs>
1: No. Um, I mean, and guns are a thing in the Netherlands, but it's very, very heavily. I mean, where we are, actually, we are in hunting countries. So um, uh, the lo- the local guy who has the, the license here every year comes around and gives us five euros It's sort of a token, do I have permission to hunt on your land? you know, sort of, and then um, normally around Christmas time, we get a nice piece of venison or something, (laughs) which is lovely. Um, So we, you know, people around here, they they do have guns and, you know, regularly on a Saturday or Sunday, you can hear them them shooting here, but it is very, very, very heavily, um, there's a lot of controls, you have to go through licensing and exams and, um, yeah, it's it, it's it's not e- it's not easy to get a
0: gun. <laughs> yeah, well, uh, and I and... think there's yearly checks as
1: well, um, and and renewals on those as well.
0: Which in here in our state, in Missouri, there I mean you can open carry and concealed carry with no nothing. You don't need any licenses or whatever. I mean it's just if you're over a certain age, which I believe is eighteen, um, that's it. Uh, you can just go into anywhere or, or buy it private and you just pay for it. Like you were paying for a TV or something Buy at Walmart. Yeah. So, I mean, at thing, Walmart, I mean
1: obviously we, we have a, a very different, you know, view over here, but I think the, the thing is, unless you are in then over here, unless you are a hunter, you don't need, as I said, we're a tiny country. Um, yeah. if we call the police, they can be here in 10 minutes. We, uh, our doctor is in the village. It's a walking distance to us. Um, there's a hospital within 15 minutes' drive. You know, we we have everything. Uh, we have a really fantastic infrastructure and things. Uh, plus, we don't have large predators. We well, no, I lie. We do have wolves now. That's quite the uh, controversy in the Netherlands at the moment. <laughs> um, there is one pack of wolves, and they're they're currently planning on shooting them with paintball guns because they're getting too friendly. <laughs> Because <laughs> tourists taking selfies with them. Um, <laughs> but yeah, we don't... I mean, the largest, really, the largest predators we have here are either foxes, but we've... I mean, I do not lock my chickens up. We have we have chicken wire around... We've got a quarter-acre paddock that all the chickens free-range in. We have chicken wire around it, and I've got an electric fence, but that's mainly to keep the goats in rather than everybody out. And we've... The, the only animals we've lost to predators is to the rats we lost some chicks but obviously once to pass a certain size that's not a big deal so we don't have any need for personal protection um or livestock protection against you know Wouldn't that US be, be nice bears and <laughs> and all
0: sorts. yeah that would be really nice um i mean out back of our house i mean we've seen it we got bears bobcats uh mountain lions my friend just just barely any ways away from us a few minutes. Uh sent me pictures of mountain lions on their trail cams. Um we've got I say our biggest predator coyotes. Coyotes. But um the biggest threat ironically here um in a lot of the US is humans. Um you know you're you're dealing with that. Um the police departments a lot of them oh. are understaffed or, you know, few and far between. I mean, when we used to live in the city, uh, and city, city over a million, um, it was, I mean, it could be hours before somebody got to you, unless it was life threatening. There was often times where they would say they're not, police are not responding to no injury accidents or, no injury incidents because there just was too much going on. Um, so it, it, it was a lot, a lot different, definitely. Um, down here, Fox, I guess would be my best case scenario. Uh, but that's why we have to have the dogs. Um, you know, we have to have the dogs to keep them back. If we just had the chickens out, uh, we wouldn't have any chickens left. Um, our main dog was, not available one night and we lost chickens and ducks just boom, just oh, that wow. fast when he wasn't available one time overnight. So it's, it's difficult. Uh, that's why, you know, we did the episode on predator protection. Um, you know, cause in the April from Valhalla Highlands, she did that episode with us and they're out in Colorado. And those big dogs are about the only thing that can combat those big, predators that come in so yeah I, I i uh envy you there in that in that bit that you just don't have the need for the firearms and that you yeah have exactly things so yeah. Close. i
1: mean we, we do have birds of prey we've got but with this we've got a lot of buzzards in the area they've never come down and tried to take i've heard of neighbors having chickens taken by buzzards um now, I don't know if it's – I think, A, the fact that our goats so – we have chickens in the same field. We've got the geese, the ducks, the chickens, and the goats. They're all together. I think the goats scare them off. But also, we, we've got a couple of trees at the top of our top of that field that we have a flock of crows living. And they are fantastic. If anybody has crows, seriously, feed the crows, they are so good at keeping away buzzards and hawks and that kind of thing. Um they will literally dive on them. You can watch them here. If a buzzer comes over the the crows will go and dive on them.
0: Um, that's very so I'm more than happy
1: with crows. <laughs>
0: <laughs> well, I I see that um you also have an uncommon animal, uh bees.
1: Yes. So first year with bees. Um so we're still we're very that's uh, bees more than any other animal is the biggest learning curve i mean as i said i grew up with um horses and i'm like if you if you've kind of looked after a large herbivore before they're all pretty much the same i mean obviously there's tweaks and you need to google things but you know if you can look after a horse you can look after a goat and to a certain extent look after a chicken you know that's they, they're fairly feed them water them keep them clean and dry sorted um these are just a, a whole other um kettle of fish there uh so we did we did a half day course um which was interesting well because so it was all in dutch uh, my dutch is pretty good but but the longer i have to focus on it sort of the, the, the more tired i get because i'm not um fluent um so it was this half day with all these new words as well i'm like okay i didn't know that in english that's in dutch <laughs> Um and then we 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 bought the everything we needed from him at the end of the day, including the colonies. So we ended up driving back home with twenty thousand bees in the back of the car. Wow. Is, like, please don't crash, please don't crash. That would have been horrible. <laughs> um so we've just got the one hive. I think next year we're going to try and expand. We haven't we, the the honey's sitting waiting to be processed at the moment, so I'm hoping in the next few weeks. Um, I think, I'm hoping we've got about four kilos this year, but that's really, really quite low. Um, I, I, so I don't know if... I feel like our colony got to a slow start or something this year. Um, and it's I find it it's quite therapeutic looking after them because you have to, when you're opening up the hive, you have to stay calm. Everything has to slow down. You have to... Breathe slowly, move slowly. You know, it's very... It's almost meditative, the way that you do it. Um, however, the other lesson we learned this year is always double-check your zips on your bee suit.
0: Oh! Um,
1: oh, yeah. I My hood had a gap in it. I hadn't d- double-checked my zips. And we were doing... And my husband and I were both checking the hive together, and I ended up with bees inside my hood with me. Um... Which I, I was really lucky that I actually only got stung about three times. So I sort of put everything down, like walked as far away as I could with my husband. And so I just sort of like, because then you, what do you do? Do you leave the hood done up, um but with bees inside there with you, or do you undo it, but then there's more bees outside? <laughs> <It's>
0: like, <laughs> yeah, I. <laughs>
1: um, so, uh, and it was, I had my hair, I had quite long hair, and a lot of French plaits. So the bees were like burrowing in under my hair towards my scalp. So my husband's trying to kind of pluck these bees out of me. And I have a minor, I have a small um, bee um, uh, sting allergy. I don't, I don't have an Epi, I'm not, EpiPen or anything like that. I just get a reaction to their their stings. So I had to deal with one sting right on my temple next to my eye. It, was the Thursday? The Friday was our five-year wedding anniversary, and we were going away and going out for dinner. And I woke up that morning, and the entire side of my face, I would swollen up. I basically looked like the Elephant Man. <laughs> <laughs> so, so that was a lesson.
0: <laughs> That's your luck. That uh, my dear, every time something could go wrong, it will for yeah, you. Usually, and you know we would like bees, and. That was one of his main things, is he really wanted bees, but he didn't want to get stung. Now we have a lot of in our area the bees and the wasps are extensive. And the wasps are extremely aggressive. I mean, they're like little fighter jets. Um, so we wanna do bees, but um I mean, we do get good pollination stuff from everything that's already wild, but we're like we get attacked by everything wild. I don't know. So we're I don't know. We're We wanna do bees, but they're not at like the tip top of our priority list because I'm like I'm already getting stung regularly. So I don't know (laughs) I don't know about that. We'll we'll see. But the honey is a huge thing. We are anxious to try um in one of our previous episodes we talked about sorghum syrup. Um and then we've also have some connections with some people and have been discussing sugar cane. Um so I'm like I really want to do honey in the meantime. I'm going to try to do some of these other things as well, so I don't know, but you guys have so much going on, just so, the future sounds great, you're going to be doing so much more, you're doing a ton now, um, so I guess I would just say, what is, what are you most looking forward to in the, in the future?
1: Uh, I, I, definitely the cows. I just there's something about having cows on the property, especially when we start getting um, babies. There's something about that that you like. Okay, I, I feel like we're actually homesteading. You know, feel like we're with you know farmers at that point. Um, yeah. I mean, obviously we've got the kids coming in with the the goats, um, and longer term as well with the with the pigs. Uh, we haven't still haven't fully decided on whether we're gonna stick with the crooney coonies or go with something like the Mangalitza, but the idea is to get a breeding sow and basically um keep a couple of the, the, the piglets each year and raise them up for the freezer um the but
0: ma- no, the, the, the cows I'm, uh, I'm i'm I'm
1: really the <laughs> <laughs> I know oh, they I'm going to get far too attached. I'm going to cry when they get to the
0: (laughs) (laughs) slaughterhouse. There's something that says cow equals farm. I mean, it it is very cow equals farm. Uh, As far as the mangalitas go, I will say that I have heard they are much harder to breed. um, And lots of the people that I know have ended up doing a cross or have had to get out of them because of, the, the breeding issues. So just something to think about, um,
1: um and something yeah, to ask. What I was, we have heard that their meat is basically the Wagyu of
0: yes. pork. Yes. I've um, heard that.
1: Which obviously, my husband's eyes lights up when he hears that.
0: Mm-hmm. We ended up going with the Red Wattles because their meat, um, is to be red and marbled like beef. Um, and so that's why we went with them and I love their temperament and stuff. They are large, you know, the sows and the, um, boars when full grown, you know, you're talking 650, 750 pounds. So that's much different oh. than the Coonies, you know, but at the same time, you know, Coonies are a large pig, so you do get more meat off these other breeds, but it wouldn't be bad, you know, I think if it was for personal use. To do some type of a cross or something, or if you could find a megalitza breeder, um, you know who's having good luck, they they might be willing to do some type of mentor. That would be nice.
1: Yeah, no, that's uh, that's a good idea. And I mean, the, the great thing with the coonies is they. I mean, the reason we got them primarily was they're really recommend as a good starter pig. Um, and I have to say, they that that they've been brilliant. They're so easy. um and such good compliments and you know i on the other side of the paddock and shout piggies and the two of them come running across to me for scratches it's adorable (laughs) (laughs) um so you know that's but it's yeah as i said the proof is in the pudding um we haven't we haven't tasted them yet so um so yeah i mean the other the other really good side i don't know if it's the same over there but a lot of people over here get the coonies as pets Yeah, which means if you have. If you breed the uh, pedigree and have them, especially if you have not registered with, in the stud book, so pedigree um, parents, you can get quite a good price for the piglets. Um, so then, you know, you can sell off all but two of the, the of your litter, keep two of them for food, and then you've actually got a bit of extra extra income from them because yeah, the, they do seem to be the highest price sort of pet pig yes over here.
0: That that's yep, that's how it is over here with the definitely those and um you know, if people are just kinda looking to get the meat and wanna be small, I know American Guinea Hog is popular, but as far as people having pet pigs, they the coonies are really high on the rise for them. And we'll actually get coonies. I I really want them too, but um for us it was about meat first and so the long grow out and things like that weren't ideal. And we needed something that was going to heavily root for us to kind of get some stuff taken care of with the way our property is. So we went with the red waddles, but, um, we'll definitely add them. Is there anything else yeah. that you would like Sorry, to I'm... share with anyone? Um, before we,
1: um, I would say, I mean, obviously the first, certainly the first 12 months, so the, the two years we've been here, I mean, the learning curve when you decide to embark on something like this is astronomical. I would say one of our biggest learnings is probably true for all infrastructure, but for us, the lesson has certainly been with fencing. Whatever fencing you think you need, pretty much double the strength or, or size or whatever, because our, so we've the, got the, the small paddock that's everything in, I basically had to re-fence it. It's got about four different types of fencing on it now. <laughs> we started with stock fencing and put that on, but then the chickens could get through that. So then I had to run do run chicken uh, wire the entire way around it so the chickens couldn't get out. Then we've got the electric fencing for for the goats. And now that it's two years old, the c- goats have figured out a couple of areas where they can push underneath the fence where there isn't the, the, the electric fence. Uh, so I've had to go along and actually um screw boards along the bottom of the fence as well. <laughs> so now it's Fort Knox, I hope <laughs> um, yeah with the with the fencing that we're we're planning on doing through this autumn and winter, we're like, yeah, just think about what you need and then kind of double it because you do not want to put all that work into fencing a field and then have to redo it, well,
0: uh, yeah, we have had, yeah. yeah. we have had our own issues with, with fencing. It has been an experience. Let's just say that we've got to do a good bit of fencing on the perimeter, uh, because we've got a dog that likes to wander around. Um, so that's very stressful. Um, yeah, we've had some issues with some of the animals and the fencing. So yes, uh, hopefully as we go into winter, our main project is fencing, redoing fencing and adding fencing for the winter. That is a huge priority for us. Um, uh-huh. do you have any social media that people can follow you on?
1: Um, I do. I'm I'm not as active on there as I as I should be. I <laughs> will try and uh upload more, but um no, both on Facebook and on Instagram, uh you can follow um Gerritz's. So Gerretz is our surname. And uh the farm we call it Gerretzes because that's after my mum said, ah, the Gerretzes, kind of like Poppetses, which we thought was very cute, <laughs> so it stuck. <laughs> um so it's G-E-R-R-I-T-S-E-S. And yeah, we're on Facebook, uh,
0: Facebook and Instagram. All right. Well, we will also put the links to your pages in the uh, Facebook group Homestead Happenings with VB podcast. If you're not in that group, please jump over and join. That's where we announce giveaways and add all kinds of extra little things uh, and little biography type synopsis on our speakers. Our website will be dropping this week, so hopefully you'll be able to jump over there and see. It is pretty exciting. That's going to have everything that's upcoming and past for the schedule, the contact information and photos from the speakers. It'll also have a little bit about us and it'll have the episodes available to be listened to and so much more, definitely all the contact information and how to reach us for all of those programs. Just as a reminder, the December giveaway is going to be ending December 15th, so definitely jump into the Facebook group, make a post telling us what is your favorite Thanksgiving side dish, and if you'd like to drop a recipe, you definitely can. Um, if you share that with your if you share our group with your social media and screenshot that and add it to the comment section of your post about your thanksgiving side dish you will get an extra entry we are going to be giving away a mcmurray hatchery gift card for chicks or ducklings or turkeys or whatever you want to get however you choose to use your gift card We will be giving out a tractor supply gift card so you can grab some supplies and we will be giving out a surprise gift card. Yes, it has to do with poultry and we will be announcing what the surprise gift card is on December 15th, the last day to enter and we will be announcing the dollar amounts of the gift, uh, the gift cards next week. So the reason they're all secret is because it's Christmas you can't tell all your secrets at Christmas. So that is why they are secret, but definitely jump in there. You have until the 15th at 11:59 PM. Winner will be drawn on the 16th. And then that following week we will announce for January. We love doing these giveaways and we appreciate you spending your evening with us, Kate. It's morning here, but evening for you. So I appreciate that. And We just loved chatting with you. We've been looking forward to this. I knew there was going to be so many differences, and we look forward to keeping up with you on social media to see how everything's going.
1: Yeah, thank you very much for having me.
0: So on that note, let's learn. Let's grow. Let's Let's go. go.